Welcome to Guest Getter, the best place for restaurateurs to learn the art and science of getting more new guests, getting guests coming back more often, and getting guests spending more per visit so that you can be more profitable and do more of what you love. My name's Kyle Guilfoyle. Let's hit it. Today, I'm very excited and I have my seatbelt securely fastened for today's <laughs> guest, Charlie Tickner. That's me. Charlie is a Facebook advertising expert who has served dozens of clients in industries ranging from cable television networks and Disney to local businesses such as gyms and, you guessed it, bars and restaurants. Some of his restaurant clients or food business clients include Domino's, Pizza Hut, Jack in the Box, and more. Today, we are going to be jamming out and solving the puzzle of how you, the restaurateur, can use both Facebook ads and direct response best practices to get more people coming through your doors. Welcome, Charlie. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thank you for that. That's, that's, that's absolutely wonderful. I think that's a nice, concise little cut off the top of some of, some of the work back in the few years. I, I appreciate that. You know, some of that's traumatic memories, but I, but I appreciate it. Thank you, man. Well, I'm going to write that one down. I want to hear about the trauma. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so Charlie, I always love to start by asking you, you know, we, we mentioned you're a Facebook advertising expert, but I love to ask you how you would describe your particular area of expertise, your, your zone of genius. What would you say that sure. is? I think the number one thing that I do better, my, my unfair advantage, the thing that separates me from most other Facebook advertisers is I am probably better than anyone else I know at solving a problem by simplifying and automating. Um, and I do that so that people can spend the majority of their time trying to solve bigger, more important problems. Facebook at its absolute peak should be an asset to your business, not a liability. And it should not very rarely is Facebook the thing that's going to bump your business up 20, 50 percent. Having running your business better is what's going to do you is do that for you. And so I try to make Facebook as simple as possible so that you can spend the rest of your resources doing the things that are going to move mountains. I love that. I love that. And for such a, you know, such a wild beast that Facebook is, I, I, I imagine that that's uh, appreciated a great deal uh, from your clients. You know, actually, before we get into it even further, I, I got to ask, have, have you ever worked in the hospitality industry? I was a pizza delivery man for three months before I got fired. Why did you get fired? I was... Let's just say uh, liability to society at large. Um, so, like, okay, I, I'll give you, I'll give you it in thirty seconds because I used to be a scumbag. Um, the Pizza Hut, where I was a delivery man, two doors over was the liquor store, and they give you twenty dollars cash to make change. So I would get like a four loco to start just making deliveries. And because uh, you never needed all 20 bucks on the first order, right? And somebody's going to pay in cash. Bottom line is, I was, a, like I said, a liability to society at large. And I was not quiet about it. And they knew about three hours into my first shift that it was a mistake. And then I went home for Christmas because I didn't realize you're supposed to ask for time off. And... Um, Mind you, I was like 25. It was like my first real job. Because again, a whole other line of life. Uh, so a pizza delivery, they need you for Christmas. They need you for New Year's. They need you for all this stuff. And it snowed in Virginia. Uh, so I couldn't make it back down to Florida. So I missed my flight. And so I basically missed four 
like all hands on deck days of delivery because I was on vacation and couldn't make it home. And they, you know, that was the excuse that they used to finally get rid of me. But that's yeah. That's outside of that, never really had that job. Although I would say, um, while it's not hospitality, I do think most of the time I've spent in agency life is what I would consider a service industry job. For sure. Well, I'd actually to, to, okay, so that was sort of your early work career. Um, could you just give us the Coles notes, uh, your, your background that's led you, you know, up to where you are today? Sure. So, you know, I went to college to get an audio to, to, to learn how to make records. And then the music business kind of dropped. So then I went to music business. And then, like, you know, the impact of Napster and all that other stuff destroyed a lot more. I ended up getting, I was in a radio, I was in a band and we were touring around a lot and I got a radio gig. So I ended up being an FM and Sirius XM radio personality for years and years and years. And then I ended up moving to California and I promised that there was no internal relationship. There's a complete coincidence that the sex tape that happened with Hulk Hogan and Gawker with Howard Stern pulling his funding from this central Florida uh, Sirius XM radio station um, that happened in the exact month that I moved had nothing to do with my reason for, for leaving. Um, and, and what ended up happening was I um, got a job just working for an ad agency. I, I was playing like an open mic night and some girl was there and she had like an entry level gig and I was able to help her through her entire job. And, I re and she realized that was like better than her boss and stuff. When this time it was just organic. And um, it was a ten dollar like, an hour job. like online online marketing stuff, or yeah, just online marketing stuff. I mean, mostly it was falsifying plays on YouTube for Disney princesses, <laughs> like the Disney queens, and, and uh, going and doing all this other stuff. So I figured out how to automate my workload so I could do the work of like eight people while sitting and watching Mad Men on on, on my laptop all day. Maybe got pissed off that I never looked like I was busy, and then I'm like, yeah, but I'm doing the work. It's a twelve person department. I doubled your output, like. Mm -hmm. What's wrong here? Um, and then they lost their biggest client. Uh, and then so last hired, first fire type situation. I ended up doing my own stuff organic. And I had somebody that was paying me $2,000 a month fire me because I dropped 100 bucks in a Facebook ads and did a better job than I could deliver. And I was like, look, I understand. I get it. Like, that's a good move for you. So the next day I threw my business card into Facebook to start to promote my band. And within a year, I was running accounts for Danny Trejo and Robert, Tre uh, Robert, Tre uh, you know, Robert Rodriguez and all of these celebrities. And within a year of that, I was spending a million dollars a day for CBS and I was a supervisor for Nissan, primarily because I'm a really good interviewer. I had no background that I should have. And I may or may not have fudged some numbers or my background on my, on my, on my resume, but I went into Omnicom this evil international conglomerate ad agency, you know, that owns a million ad companies into the performance marketing realm. Um, and was like, yeah, I've got, I, I took the, I have five years experience in direct to consumer advertising on paid media, mind Facebook paid media, it only existed for like three years, but I had five years experience. And uh, I was good enough that the, the regional director hired me to be the supervisor over basically seven figures a day of ad spend. Um, and then they realized about a week later that I had no corporate experience. Um, and I basically failed my way up through all the agencies, um, because I never learned how to do things appropriately. Um, most ad agencies at that level, their number one objective is to spend money, they're investment banks. 
You give them a dollar, they give you a dollar ten, but they keep like 25 cents as well, right? Um, and my focus was on performance. So we were supposed to spend a million dollars on a TV show. I could get you that result for 800 grand. I feel like I did a good job. I saved you $200,000. And what I really did is I cost half my annual salary and commissions in 24 hours, um, which is a problem. So I ended up finding the right spot for me after going ad agency to ad agency and then Facebook marketing partner and eventually client side and then back um, that, that I'm a performance marketer. And, and uh, I don't know, I think all of those years of being on the road as a musician and self-promoting, if, if there's something about being a little bit of a, of, a, of a rapscallion and a touring fella, let's say a troubadour mm-hmm. that gets you really good at convincing strangers to give you money. And I've turned that skill into a profession on the internet. It's amazing. I, I, well, before we get into the nitty gritty uh, about, you know, bars and restaurants and that, that, that stuff, uh, I'd actually be curious to hear about your perspective uh, on the agency side, you know, you know, working within an agency versus, you know, kind of going the, the freelance route. What, what, what do you prefer? Um, I think there's upsides to both. I think the freelance side is great because, you know, infrastructure and politics and all of that kind of stuff that, that some people, I, I think some people, entrepreneurial folks don't tend, tend to not work well in that environment. Um, however, the downside to going free to freelancing is you stop learning. Um, there's an element of being in an agency that you get to have your opinions challenged mm-hmm. and you get to have access to a lot of information. And I'll be honest, by the time I left ad agencies, it had been six months before I was in a room with anybody that was as good as me. And when I went client side, I was like, well, I haven't learned anything from anybody in in six months. Mm -hmm. Um, And then with client side, and I learned all the other sides of actually conducting a business. And so like, I learned that a media buyer's job isn't to spend the money and write a report. The media buyer's job is to understand why you can't give me more money. So like, if your budget is 10,000 this month, my number one objective is to understand why you can't give me 20 and to solve that problem so that your business succeeds so that I can get more money. It feels altruistic. It feels nice. It's completely selfish. Like my number one objective is give me more money. Why can't you give me more money? I'm going to solve that problem. And as a result, we're both going to succeed. So I like being, I like having a foot inside the agency world so that I can constantly learn from people to see how other problems are being solved. Because I feel like the moment that you check out on growth is the moment that you stop being good. You stop being really elite because everybody catches up. And in digital marketing, the world changes completely every three to six months. Um, and, and, and so that is kind of like, I will always have a tie into the agency and agency world because I just absolutely thrive on having my preconceived notions challenged. And, you know, somebody patting my patting, give me a pat on the back telling me I did a good job is the least helpful thing that can happen in my day. Somebody challenging me and saying like, yeah, you're right, but there's another way of solving it that's better. Like that rarely happens, but when it does, I can, I can ride that for months and months and months. And, you know, there's a couple of things that have come across my desk over the last maybe six months. There's one in particular where I'm legitimately pissed. I didn't come up with it. Like legitimately just upset that that's not my idea. And Mm -hmm. and like, that's the shit that keeps me moving. Like that, that stuff, like, oh, like I live for that. For sure. Yeah. Um, I, I, I totally get that. And just, just being so well resourced, you know, um, it can, I think, I think a lot of, I imagine a lot of freelancers feel like they're, you know, kind of alone 
uh, in an ocean. Whereas when you're in an agency, you really do have all those resources, all that support. So that, that goes a long way too. You know, okay, so, so this cast, it's all about helping bars and restaurants use cutting edge tools to get more guests through their doors. So I just want to pluck some, some of the low hanging fruit here. Are there steps that you believe just about every restaurant could take today using the internet to get more guests, let's say tomorrow? And if so, what, what would you say those steps are? Yeah. I mean, I think, and obviously with COVID and everything else, but I think there's some, you know, one of the things that I did, and we were talking about the trauma, like I'll tell you the most traumatic way of solving this problem. So national pizza brand lunchtime, right? What we did was they have franchisees all over the United States. Those franchisees could buy into paid media. What we would do is we would literally blanket every target market. So like every major city, all the franchisees could buy in and you would include their locations and exclude the franchisees that didn't buy in. Um, so you get penalized. But what we do is just say it's lunch rush, right? Now, a lot of places have dinner on lock, but lunch rush is a great opportunity for a lot of folks in, in, this, in this pizza you know, national chain. Um, and so what we did was we use Facebook ads to blanket people's feeds between 9.30 and noon everywhere so that whenever somebody was on the job or just thinking about lunch or doing whatever, making these plans, you were top of mind. Yeah. Top of mind. So we would do reach campaigns in that case to just make sure that we saturated the market. If the audience, if the market was 2 million people, we would try to get a quarter to half a million impressions every single day, unique, constantly, every single day, no matter what, you saw a new ad from us. Um, and we would do a lot of UGC and a lot of creative testing. But the idea was just constantly be somebody way until they buy. And even when they do, that's fine. Like we we continue to do it. So it was all top of mind stuff. And I and I worked also with a um, we didn't even get into this, but because I, I think of it not as a food a restaurant, but let's call it a very large semi-evil conglomerate like coffee company from Seattle. And what we would do there is uh, same type of thing, but we would smash it from seven a.m. to to ten a.m. And so is everybody waking up or like, okay, it's, it's, we got to the office. Now we need to get out. What are we going to do? Okay. There's this thing. And then what we would do with them, we did this thing that ended up not going full broad, but we would um, take when your device would enter into a store, you would ping that wireless network and the Bluetooth around the, around the, the, the network. Right. And we were able to say, okay, well, because your device pinged this network and you're logged in, we know that we showed you an ad and within an hour or two, you were in the location. So we were able to directly attribute our ads to that success. Now that's some evil spy nonsense. But the point is all of these brands had a lot of the same stuff. And I did one for what I would consider late night stoner cuisine brand. Uh, and uh, what we did with them was very much the same thing. Uh, as like two brands that were in that market, very much just like they're looking for drunks and stoners after 9 p.m. to go hammer their thing. And it was 8 p.m. to midnight, smash the target market. And it's funny, even though they were all different markets, all different brands, all different types of verticals within that space, the majority of what they would do is try to get market awareness and saturation for as cheap as possible to around in the time leading up to mm -hmm. peak hours. 
so that when that decision was finally made, because if you're thinking about lunch, you might be thinking about that as soon as you leave your house in the morning or whatever, right? Like you're in a board meeting or something, you're in the elevator, you're stuck in traffic, and like me, you're stuck in traffic, pull out your phone, whatever. And then like you hit this ad and it's like, it's seated in the brain. You do that enough times and you reach, if you can reach a thousand people for two, three bucks, five bucks, whatever, the market econ- economics of being able to make that work is pretty strong. Yeah. Um, and, and so that was like a big thing that we always did. And I've, I've done that with local shops too. Uh, I think yeah. any local business, you do that with a Google search game and you're going to do okay. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, any, any local pizza shop, cafe, um, you know, could apply the same, the same sort of tactic. I actually just had a really red, I, I, this might be kind of cruel. Cause I, I have you, I doubt you've ever worked with like a fine dining restaurant. Have you? Fine dining one-offs, no. That's okay. that would be a new one for me. Although I would love to. I've got strategies for them. I've worked well, let's, with let's, fine let's dining chains, but not not one-off like just like hey, it's Bob and Sal's fifty-dollar dinner. Like I don't know. That's probably not a place where you spend fifty bucks or a hundred bucks. But like that's all still kind of bringing to the same point. Like fine dining, like when it's pizza or it's coffee or it's tacos or any of that stuff, you're more selling the culture mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you're like, you're selling price or whatever. Right. And it's the same thing at the high level. Like the only difference between a car commercial for infinity and a car commercial for Honda is that they're selling you a different lifestyle. Like when you're advertising to somebody, you're not really selling them most of the time in this case, like solutions, you're selling them aspirations, right? You're like, I want to spend money to get my life to that level. Totally. Right. So like, I, I think it's a huge gap that people don't necessarily really take advantage of like they could to say, like, I think most people try to sell their offer when they're at a restaurant. They're like, Hey, we got the $50 steak or something like that. Mm-hmm. But you look at the successful places, they're not telling you like McDonald's commercials are very rarely about the quality of the nugget. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, how do you feel? Mm-hmm. Right. Like those places will win. Like I, I, I think I'm a big fan of the golden circle and start with the why, right? And then like if you so if you're a fine dining restaurant, start with the why. Why should somebody come to you? And it has nothing to do with your food. That is the that is the last thing on. That's the what, right? So it's that it's the why, it's the how, and then the what. The the actual like food is the last reason why somebody goes to a fine dining restaurant because honestly, there like I live in Los Angeles. There's 20 places a half an hour away from here that I can spend over a hundred bucks on a burger, right? Like an obscene amount of money on food that you can make yourself, right? Like it's not the food. Mm-hmm. You're going there because of some other reason. Find out what that reason is and then pound that home. So there's an emotional connection. So somebody can sell themselves because you're providing the opportunity of reaching whatever that aspirational goal is. And I think that's something that just so many people forget to focus on. Um, because if you're not direct to consumer, if you can't track conversions on each individual effort, then it's sentiment. And, and ultimately, like, especially in Facebook ads or anything, not so much search, but in anything where it's an optimized CPM environment, OCPM, where there's an algorithm that chooses what to show people. So Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Pinterest, Snapchat, TikTok, list goes on. Can you just break down what OCPM is? Sure. So optimized CPM, yeah. So OCPM means, and what that algorithm, what it all does, 
and this is exactly what it means. What it's doing is it's saying, what is most likely to keep somebody on the platform? Like Facebook or Instagram shows you stuff in your feed that it thinks that you're going to respond positively to, right? Like if you have a bunch of stuff in there, like maybe it's a bunch of food you don't like or political positions you don't appreciate or TV, whatever, whatever the thing is, if it's negative, your reaction is to leave the app and come, it's going to be longer until you come back, right? If you have a positive interaction with something, then you're more likely to take more actions and stay on the app for longer. The average person swipes the height of the Eiffel Tower on a daily basis. Your job is to keep them for one more piece. And like the only way you're going to get that attention, I did, you know, tracking eyeball studies with CBS television to understand like advertising and 80% of that attention is grabbed by the image of the video. Then it's the headline. And then it's like the little words above. So my point with all of that is, if you can try to create content or ads that have somebody create, take an action that is positive, not necessarily buy something, but in a way where you're not, Tim Cook called media buyers hucksters and he's not wrong. Like, I think most people don't really respect the person at the other end of the phone. Most advertisers are looking at numbers on a sheet. They don't really care about the person that's actually getting the ad. So like, if you care about that person and you try to make that person have a better engagement with you, the way that all optimized CPM platforms work, any anything with a news feed and an algorithm that you can buy ads on, they all rely on one simple math equation to figure out how much to charge you. One is how customized is your audience? There's a premium, just like anything, the more customized something is, the more you pay for it. Outside of that, it's how much are you willing to pay, your budget, and then something, every version, everyone has a different one, but Facebook calls it an estimated action rate. How likely is somebody to take a positive action based on us showing them to your feed? So what that means is if you want to really, really dominate in paid social for the purpose of promoting something and get really cheap CPMs, you can go down the, ro- the hole of like trying to find the cheapest audiences or getting the highest click-through rates or all of these other outputs, yeah. right? Or you can go down the road of how do I make sure that somebody wants to interact with what I have to say? How do I make sure that the person I'm talking to cares? Every advertisement is effectively a burden on somebody's experience, mm-hmm. whether it's a commercial in the middle of the TV show or a billboard block in the sky. It's a burden, you have an obligation to make that burden something that is actually an asset to somebody's life. And if it's not, you're going to pay far, far more. And, you're, and that rate is going to continue to increase until you respect your audience. And, and I think that's a fundamental value that 99% of advertisers don't look at. They're like, oh, I've got the best thing. Here's, here it is. Yeah. Apple and Tesla dominate the world because they sell a solution. They, don't, they, they sell a lifestyle, right? They're, they're, selling, they're selling all of these things. They're not selling the fastest, the strongest, the cheapest, the best, whatever, mm-hmm. right? You buy that product, and I've never bought a Tesla, but I've, I've received a couple Apple products in my day. You know, t- there was an entire department at Apple specifically dedicated to the emotional response of opening the package because Steve Jobs understood that that was an emotional reaction that people needed. And and McDonald's did the same thing as well. You know, like, so there's something to be said about the way somebody cares about what you have to do. Because honestly, 
paid media or any type of acquisition marketing, if you're trying to make spend money to make each sale, you're going to lose. The reason you spend paid media, the reason you spend ads is that somebody experiences you so that your organic efforts and their human nature provides more value, mm -hmm. right? So I'll pay money to get you to come into my restaurant mm -hmm. for that 75, maybe it's a hundred dollar a plate and you give me 50% off. That's great. Like one of my favorite spots in the world, this place called Texas Day Brazil. And they got a few of them, but it's fantastic. It's all you can eat, $100 a plate, but you get $50 on your birthday. I would go, I had like three birthdays a year. I was going all the time. Um, fantastic. The reason that they win though, is because your experience inside of the restaurant and the quality of the food means that you come back and you tell other people about it. Like I told you. Yeah. yeah. And the purpose of paid media is to amplify the, vo the mountaintop the volume of people mm -hmm. and what they're going to say. If you have a terrible experience or a terrible product, spending money on advertising is going to let the whole world know that you shouldn't be in business. hundred yeah. percent. And I think that's a, that's a fundamental value that is lost on 99% of advertisers. I, I love, I love that. I couldn't, I, I couldn't agree more, especially um, I, I see such an opportunity in the idea that 99% of advertisements are a burden and you know that's why people hate them but for you know guys like us it's a real opportunity you know we can we can put something into that ad that um is valuable that um you know improves the experience of the person who is on that platform which ultimately the platform is going to reward us for um so that's awesome and i just want to clarify one thing uh, about you mentioned CPMs, we're talking about cost per thousand impressions, right? Yeah, and yeah. Well, it's technically cost per milli, but I was in the advertising. I probably spent twenty, thirty million dollars before I figured out that the M was uh, was was like Latin or whatever for oh, thousand. It's it's mille. I think it's a uh, French for thousand, isn't it? Okay, French. Okay, yeah. I've spent over a hundred million dollars. I just found out that it's French. So like for what it's worth, there's, there's room to grow for all of us. Totally. Um, well, I, I love talking to you because you have such a scientific approach to this. And one thing that is super challenging about advertising in any industry is, is attribution. Um, and you, uh, in, in bars and restaurants, it's, it's even more challenging because the point of sale is usually further away from the ad platform. Whereas, mm -hmm. you know, if we're just, if we're, you know, marketing for e-commerce, well, Shopify is just one step away. You, you get the two sides sure. of each other, no problem. Bars and restaurants, a completely different uh, challenge. And so you mentioned that you had that sort of Bluetooth uh, thing that- Yeah, yeah, that, that evil privacy invading thing from yeah. the, from the, those, those uh, folks from Seattle. I'm curious- a gift card around here somewhere. I'm curious how else you uh, you would go about, um, you know, tracking your, your results. Uh, with um, with ads and, and bars and restaurants. Yeah, I, I think I view all advertising in what I like to call an ecosystem ROAS. Return on ad spend, yeah. Yeah, well, e yeah sorry, ecosystem return on ad spend, sorry. Know your target market, I got you. <laughs> Thanks Kyle, I appreciate it. Yeah, Knowing your target market. The number one thing that I'm looking at across any advertising, and I learned this from an old boss of mine who used to be a vice president at Guthrie Ranker that would spend over $100 million a year on television. Now, if you're not hip, television has far less attribution than Facebook ads. 
My point to all of that is the lesson I learned from her that was fundamental to like my growth and shocked everything, everything that I held dear as being wrong is that the only thing that really matters is tracking your spend against your revenue as a business. Yep. So if you can understand on the average day, my bar restaurants pulling in, let's say 2000 bucks. I don't know if that's good or bad. Let's say it's 2000. For your business, 2000 is average day. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's good. Again, whatever. If you spend a hundred bucks a day in advertising for the next month, that's what? Three grand, three grand. Do you see your average daily revenue in the store go up by $101. My point to that is, I think most people try to attribute stuff and and there's a lot of attribution models around direct consumer and we won't have to get into why like multi-touch attribution is a lie that people have failed to solve for decades after billions of dollars have spent. And we don't need to go into all of that because it's not really applicable here. Because I could do an hour on that to a brick wall on the drop of a hat. My point here is the number one thing to really understand is it's testing. Let me bring you back to fifth grade science class. Please do. The scientific method is you have a control, you have a hypothesis, and you have a test. Mm -hmm. And then you see if the outcome of your test meets your hypothesis. Right? We all learn this with like number two pencils and everything. Mechanical, some of us have been ready, we had that one. 0.7 or 0.5, I was a 0.7 guy. My point is, because it's thicker and I'm brute. Uh, I I don't have a light touch. Uh, I I type loudly apparently too, which is a problem. I Uh, I take tests loudly too. I usually have to be sequestered while taking a test. Because by the way, side note, I would take tests very loudly and be disruptive to the rest of the class, finish in half the time and ruin the grading curve in college. And like everybody hated me. You were a you were a huckster, eh? A little. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I, colorful background. We'll put it that way. Uh, but yeah, my point to all this is the number one thing that's most important is establish a control element. How much is your how much is your restaurant bringing in this week? Week over week trends, month over month trends. Hey, look, we think that each week in the month of March we're going to do between ten and fifteen thousand dollars revenue. Great, awesome. Now let's invest $1,000 a week in advertising. Does that get you 12 to 16, 12 to, does you get 15,000 and maybe 20? Mm-hmm. I think if you can isolate each individual effort and mm-hmm. then see the incremental lift or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. So in this case, the control is, I know how much money is going to be in my register at the end of the week. Mm-hmm. My test, I... I'm going to try spending Facebook ads money. My hypothesis is that if I spend $1,000 this month, I'm going to see at least $1,000 more in revenue at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. You run the test. Week over week trends. Don't look day over day because that's madness. You know, Warren Buffett didn't look at stuff day over day. He was successful. Why not take advice from somebody else? My point is, if you spend $1,000 this month, and you beat your projections for this month by three grand. Okay, let's try it again. First round of testing held true. Let's re, let's conduct the test again because no test, no study, no scientific effort is ever declared true on one test. You need multiple data points. So now let's try it again. Hey, it worked again. What happens when we double this month? 
It looks good. Or what happens when we pull it away? Mm-hmm. Right? Like what happens when we stop spending? And I can tell you, cause I've done this market by market, like, and the trauma was I had to do this for like 380 markets with individual campaigns and ad sets and ads for a national campaign that updated on a weekly basis, which was a nightmare. And I never want to do that again in my life. But the point of it is you can see a change in the till, the cash register at the end of the day, the end of the week, the end of the month, based on your investment. If you can break it down to individual variables and see the change, then you can start to make incremental changes in your business. Mm-hmm. Where a lot of people screw up is they're like, well, I'm gonna run Facebook ads, I'm gonna run a sale, and I'm gonna run television or whatever. Well, yeah. now it, it, say things are good. Is it because you ran a sale? Is it because of the Facebook ads? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, then great, you didn't learn anything. Totally. You yeah. don't learn anything, then what's the point? Yeah, so isolate those variables. I I, I love that because it's, I, I think folks, can really go down a rabbit hole when it comes to attribution and measurement in general. But what you're saying here is it doesn't have to be that hard. All you need to do is figure out what your monthly or weekly revenue is on average over the course of say 12 months, figure that out and then add in one channel. Maybe it's Facebook ads, just, you know, try testing 500 bucks and then see, you know, see what it is at the end and, and just continue in that way. I mean, and as you go, you can probably develop systems to get your attribution more accurate, Sure, uh, but it doesn't have to be complicated to start. Just start in that simple way. I yeah. Think. I think you start that way. I think so many people overcomplicate this and, right. and I'll tell you, like I, I have friends that work at textile, you know, the people that run Lululemon and all those folks, they spend a hundred thousand dollars a year trying to figure out multi-touch attribution to understand what does what mm-hmm. I'll tell you the outcome of those tests. Cause I know those folks. Mm-hmm. The outcome of that test is the attribution model is decided on group think so that every department looks good. Mm-hmm. That's the outcome of $100,000 a year in testing wow. is ego. So my point to all of this is that entire problem can be broken down to fifth grade science class. And if you can make every, and that's why I'd say like my, my unfair advantage is the thing that I try to do differently than everybody is solve problems with simplicity. Every single problem and every, almost, I'm not going to say every, because I'm not an absolutist. I, I, I try not to be, because I, I, I very much despise people that say this always works or whatever. The vast, I'll say 80% of the people, 80% of the time, that's my nice little cop out, mm-hmm. can solve a problem by making it as simple as possible. Now, it's really hard to solve a problem simply. It's far simpler to, in, to solve a problem with complexity. The problem is there's a direct relationship to complexity, to lack of confidence and instability. For sure. My point to this is if you spend the next three months, six months as a business, understanding do Facebook ads work for me and it's good for you. Great. Now you know that. Then you can go on to the next thing. And what happens a year from now, two, three years from now, you're not sitting there wondering if Facebook ads work for you. You're sitting there wondering like, What's the next thing I need to do? Because my business, I have a business problem. Like my, you know, my location is too small or I got to worry about ordering more often. I need a better POS system. Like all of that stuff. Those are the problems that you should be trying to solve as a business owner. Facebook can be literally one dynamic creative campaign or whatever it happens to be, right? Like I'm not going to try to get into the nitty gritty of it, but like if you can make Facebook a line item on an Excel spreadsheet that is a yes or a no output, then the rest of your business becomes really easy to manage. And I think that's, that is 
of the biggest focus that I'm seeing people really struggle with. And, and to that point, like we're talking about our iOS 14 and all this other super techie stuff and everybody's saying things are going to go bad. It, I'm not concerned about it because I understand the core principle is, do you make an ad people give a shit about? If yes, and you spend money there and it's good for your business, spend more. If not, change something or abandon. Like it's all that very simple. People can massively overcomplicate that, but they're going to lose. Totally. And I actually, I'd, I'd love to get your take on even going a step back to the channels that most bars and restaurants focus on, which are organic channels. And I have this theory and I want to run it by you. My theory is that if you are a bar restaurant and you're posting like mediocre content or like maybe you're not posting at all. And for the next six months, you prioritize content that people give a shit about um, that tells you know, maybe origin stories about your staff or products. Uh, whatever it is, yeah. Yeah, whatever it is. My hypothesis is that if you do that for six months and you measure the revenue difference, you will likely see a marked difference. What do you think? Yeah, 100%. So I, I think, here's the thing, is it might be a failure for you. Mm -hmm. But if it fails, you know that that's not worth your time. Because the other side of it is everybody has core competencies. Mm -hmm. I've seen businesses thrive on testimonial content and influencers that are god awful at paid media and every time they try to run ads they fail mm -hmm. i've seen businesses that have terrible everything except ads and customer service terrible product terrible management terrible everything but they got good customer service and good ads i i, I took a business like that from 8 million to 30 million like like that happens all the time so my point is you might not get a positive result, but not getting a positive result, having your test fail is absolutely important because it tells you what you're good and what you're bad at. And there might not be the, you know, the right solution might be the third one. The whole point is you try to take big enough swings that a win is gonna make a 10, 20, 50% change in your business. That way you can fail five out of 10 times and you're still good. Like if you know that, one out of let's be let's be really hyperbolic one out of 99 problems one out of 99 tests are going to fail but that other one is going to improve your business by a hundredfold then it's worthwhile to do right like the way the reason the lottery works is because you win one dollar on a ticket and it, the odds of winning are like one out of ten thousand like you're going to lose I think so many people try to worry about like a one or 2% change in their business and they'll lose 50 times and they'll brag about, Hey, I got a five X ROAS on something, but they lost in 20 places to find that one five. So you only lost $15. That's a terrible business model. Totally. Yeah. So, so you're suggesting that, you know, um, just methodically channel by channel, test it out. Yeah. That would be awesome. Yeah, so start in a place, see what works. If it works for you, great. Try to improve it and move on to the next thing. The channel should not only be good enough to make a difference, it should be good enough to pay for itself to be good enough, right? So it's not just like, oh, well, I spent $100 on Facebook and I made $100 back. You lost money because it's your time and the amount of effort and resources it took you to make that work. Like if you spend 100 bucks and get 500 back and you were able to make that $100 happen, your cost of goods or your cost of business was say 200 bucks, let's say it's 150. Then you two extra money, $150 $100 in ads, $150 cost, brought you $500 return. That's 2x. That's great. 10x that. 
Yeah. And if I were to say to you the, uh, the, one of my favorite Jay Abraham quotes, uh, break, break even today to break the bank tomorrow. Absolutely. I'll tell you a dirty little secret of a brand that I did. A, 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 well, we can't call them a weight loss company because they're running Facebook ads. It's a meal replacement shake and lifestyle brand. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. They were trying to run their Facebook ads at a 3X. And they were doing good at $8,000, $9,000 a day at a 3X. I came in. We ran the numbers. After two years, we were running $30,000 to $50,000 a day at a 0.8. Because we under, we improved the customer service and we got people into a subscription model. Totally. So the lifetime value went from $80 to $300. So we lost 20 cents on the dollar for every person that came in. I did the same thing for a print shop, mm-hmm. local business. Mm-hmm. I mean, they shipped everywhere in the country because it's, you know, paper. But I was like, hey, look, you're selling your, you know, business cards for $19.99. He's like, yeah. And how much does it cost you to make them? Oh, it costs us like five bucks. And how much does it cost you to sell it? Well, it costs us like $30 to sell it. We're losing money. And I'm like, okay, well, let me ask you a question. When somebody comes to you to, you to buy $20 of business cards, how much money does that person spend at the overtime? Like, they come back, they buy a couple of things, maybe like a hundred bucks. Okay. So if you spend $50 to acquire that customer, you're two Xing them. Mm-hmm. And then they went from like struggling to $300 on Facebook a month to like a $200 daily budget because they understand their business. And I think most media buyers don't understand business and most business owners don't understand unit economics of advertising. And I think, I think that is one of the one of the many key takeaways from today's cast, especially for bar and restaurant owners, is is to understand that counterintuitive thing, which is you don't have to break even. I mean, you should you should aim to at least break even on the first first time customer. Sure, you might not, you know, but you're investing in um, you're you're investing in a number of things. You're investing in um, that customer's details, their, their data, their email, their number, maybe even their birthday. You're investing in the awareness and exposure of, of putting your ad out there. Uh, and then you're investing in probably some sales more than likely and, and, and the lifetime value of those people. So it's, it's not just, you're not just putting out an ad to get a sale one time. You're, it's this whole thing that you're, you know, you're getting, you're getting back. I mean, I'll, I'll say this. The purpose of good paid media is to increase the volume of your organic efforts, right? I mean, and that, that's a real like, you know, in the weeds advertising way of saying the reason you spend money is so that you have more people to reach that you don't need to spend money on anymore, right? Whether your email game is strong or like, you know, your Friday night, you know, dinner for two deal is great. Because like, for whatever reason, like people love it. But what do you need? You need more people to come in on the Friday night dinner for two. How do you do that? Get more people in for lunch, right? Like that's a great way of acquiring that Friday night customer. Do that until you have to charge more for Friday night because there's a line out the door and like you don't have enough seats, right? Like, so your problem, your number one, your number one problem is what do I do so that my most profitable thing maxes out mm-hmm. and, and then and backtrack from there and try to solve that problem as simply as you can? That is absolutely something that I did for, for a chain with very much of just like, let's focus on making sure that you can't fulfill any more orders. Yeah, that's a good problem to have. Yeah. And the way we did that was like, this was a flower delivery company, not a restaurant. 
Um, well, there's flowers and other things. And what we did was, this is actually, there used to be a TV show called The Pitch. It was on before Mad Men here in, in America on AMC. And uh, this was years before Facebook ads. But it was, I did a thing for social gifting. And I don't know, it was on TV for like an episode. Uh, and we won the business. It was like two ad companies compete to be the AOR of, of a business. Anyway, we won. Um, and it was for a very famous flower company built off of a toll-free number. I'll put it that way. <laughs> what we did was they had a $5 cookie, right? And they were saying, you can spend $100,000, but it can't involve any advertising, any paid media, any television, or any print. So what we did was we had a $5 cookie. We said, okay, this $5 cookie, if you get it, it comes with a free $5 cookie for anybody else. You put them in, we'll ship it to them. So we did 20,000 just because gifts of this cookie to everybody, which means they got incrementally about 12,000 new email addresses and delivery addresses for all their stuff. Now, I don't know if you know much about the flower business, but 12,000 potential customers will pay off $100,000 in cookie all day because it was $100,000. It was really like a dollar cookie that they were upselling, but we gave away 20,000 of them for a $100,000 promotion. And what we did was we used, in this case, paid media, or the effort, this, this paid media was a cookie instead of an ad, right? But we did paid customer acquisition. We took a loss. Sorry, when you say, sorry, when you say cookie, do you mean a real? It was like a, it was like a cookie with a smiley face on it. Okay, just making like sure. Like a baked good with icing and a smiley face. Okay. Yes, <laughs> yes. Baked good delivered to your house for free from somebody. All mm -hmm. we needed was their email address and their and where to send it to. Mm -hmm. Right, free plus shipping. Yeah, mm -hmm. and we covered everything. So it's free, not even plus shipping. Free. It's free. So, but the cost of shipping basically netted out to about $5 a pop. Mm -hmm. So we spent 20, we did 20,000 of those and they probably 10 X that money because they needed like 1000 of those people to spend a hundred bucks. And in the flower biz, like that, you can spend a hundred dollars by like, you know, sneezing in the flower business. Right. So in that case, while it was delivering cookies, that's still effectively paid media. You take out and you invest in resources to acquire resources, which is all advertising is. And so we spent that time losing $5 a person to get the CRM data, the customer, you know, the, the, the email addresses and, and delivery information mm -hmm. on 20,000 people. Totally, I think that's a, a genius approach. Plus you have that, you know, the classic Robert Cialdini reciprocity um, of course. You know, working for yeah, you. Yeah, because what do you do when that happens? Oh, thank you. Let me send you flowers. So every like one out of ten people that got a five dollar flower spent fifty dollars with the company as a thank you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, so, and like they are wide immediately. Totally. And you know, you you pay you pay an ad platform to reach a person, but you just pay once, and then you have that that information, and then you can reach them again and again and again on your own terms. Yep. Um, Charlie, I want to respect your time. I'm sure we could probably go all afternoon. We could do this anytime. Maybe we'll have a part two. You let me yes. know. I'll gladly take it. I can talk about this stuff till the cows come home. Amazing. Well, I think I think you and I should we should maybe do like a, a mini masterclass on um, how bars and restaurants can use um, you know a tool like ManyChat or something like that. Sure. A whole bunch of cool. Well, stuff. I got a whole ManyChat thing. I I, I uh, yeah I took I I. I 
I could do two hours on ManyChat on a way that I, let's just say my buddy Nick from Common Thread Collective got embarrassed at Shopify on camera because he actually tried to sell one of my old case studies and I schooled his ass on on uh, on um, chatbots with a one third one third cost per customer acquisition and an eight times higher um, activation rate. Damn. Well, we'll make sure he hears this episode. Uh, That's a fun but, one. But first, um, two, two or maybe three rapid fire questions. Okay. So, um, let's say uh, you are a restaurateur, a good friend of yours uh, who wants to invest gives you. He just throws you twenty five thousand dollars. He or she. Uh, what do you do with that money to grow your restaurant? To grow the restaurant, I would probably initially go out and work on creative with some of that money. Um, like make a cool video or something? Make videos. I, I wouldn't work on one. I would work, I would make like a hundred. I, I, I mean, if I have to start from an absolute zero, I mean, you have a phone. Yeah. So I would go to the restaurant and take pictures of the phone, maybe hire somebody, but I would try to get, I would make an effort of finding 50 to a hundred pieces of creative to test. And I would then set up an ad, a, a creative testing campaign to find which ad has the lowest, which ad has the most desirable outcome for me. Mm -hmm. And we talked about it before, if you can't track anything, none of the number one way of measuring uh, consent or, or um, you know, impression is, is the CPM. What do people think about something? Um, and so, if I can find the ads that reach the most amount of people in my target market for as cheap as possible out of all of that creative, then I can try to work on, on something else, but I would smash that and do some like branded search to make sure that I'm closing the loop there. But hopefully it's video content. I'd be on YouTube. I'd be on Facebook, but I would, my number one, most important thing would be, let me make sure that my number one problem is I can't test all the creatives I have. And I will plow through every single one of them until I find the exact right five or 10 things that I can put out into the ecosystem to find the right person to be interested. And I would do that and test my results against my preconceived, my predetermined benchmarks. Right. Um, and, I, and I might spend, I might itemize out, say I spend five grand on, on content or 1000 on content. And say I've got 90 days, I could take the rest, let's say it's $24,000 divided by 90, find a unit rate. And then I would cut that unit rate by half. So I start my creative testing budget. So I'm under indexing on my daily spend. When I find the things that work, I start to ramp it up, ramp it up, ramp it up until the point where if I spend, say I could spend 20 bucks a day, but I tested only $10 a day for the first half. That means the second half, I'm only running winners and I can spend $30 a day because I saved my money early and I invested it when I knew I was going to win. Mm -hmm. uh, that's I what I would do. And I then I would ask him for 50 grand and pocket 10. Every, yeah. <laughs> um, everyone asks for 50 grand when I ask for 25. Anyways, um, what I love about that is, is what you're doing is you are turning your ads manager into a laboratory. Yeah. You're using it as a tool to understand what resonates with which audience and you know so much more you're investing in the data to make your business better so i, I love that um i'm really curious uh do you have a favorite cocktail uh not really i'm basically a brown liquor kind of guy so it might not be a cocktail but i like a double shot of cheap whiskey and a tall pbr what uh, that's uh, you are a classy you're a classy dude i love I'm it classy like bearded white American, like broke musician. 
and, and, and the tall boy PBR on a double shot. It's usually like six, seven bucks and you can get it for free if you're playing that night. And that's I just got real used to liking the stuff you can get for free. It's value drinking right there. What, yeah, okay, if you had to choose a cheap liquor, a cheap brown liquor, do you have a preference? I mean, if I had my choice, I'll say where I invested the majority of my money was uh, E&J VSOP, like $6 bottle that's like half a, half a liter. Sorry, E&J? E&J. E&J. Yeah, VSOP, is that normally uh, like a, con- a cognac or brandy? Um? Yeah, it, let's see. E&J. Yeah, E&J brandy. It okay, doesn't okay. even, e, there's not even, it's not even short for anything. I'm on their website. It literally is E and J. It's not like Earl's and James or anything. It's E and J. That, that would be, I probably spent more money on E and J and Four Locos in my late 20s than anything else. Well, that that's a unique combo, Brandy and, and PBR. I, I, I like it. Um, Charlie, Charlie, hey man, thank you so much for coming on. Where Where should people go to learn more about you? Any parting words of advice? Sure. I mean, you can find me uh, on Twitter or YouTube or Facebook. I'm the Facebook Disruptor or CT the Disruptor. I'm on Instagram. You can check me out on all of those things. I'm a contributing editor to, uh, you know, Utopia and I'm on DTC newsletter, all of those things. Um, I would type in the Facebook Disruptor. You can find me. And my parting words to everybody is if anybody tells you to solve a problem, and their solution is making it more complicated, take your money and run and then tag me in any of their advice so I can shut them down in public. I'm instituting a bounty. Anybody, like legitimately, anybody that's giving bad advice, you tag me in it, I'll gladly give you one of my eBooks or 50% off my Patreon. And if I can call them out in public so I can help out everybody else so that we can can, take the power back from used car salesmen that are absolute dog shit at the actual work. We're democratizing this stuff. That's right. That's right. I'm sick and tired of those people making a million dollars off of misquoting my work from three years ago. Let's take them down. All right. Well, I'll, I'll keep that one in the bank, and I hope everyone listening does too. Uh, Charlie, thanks so much, man. Thank you, man. Let's do round two whenever you're ready. I'm good to go. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. See you, buddy. Man.